Hey friends, this is your friend Kent C. Dodds, and I'm joined by my dear friend Michael Chan. Say hi, Michael. Hey, how's it going? So good. So happy to have you here again. For those of you who uh, listened to Michael's other episode already, then uh, this will be reviewed because Michael's already a good, uh, good friend of yours. But for those <laughs> of you who haven't, um, so um, I just barely actually minutes ago recorded a episode with Michael and we just had so much to talk about. I wanted to talk about uh, some more stuff with him. So we're doing the second episode. But uh, yeah, so definitely go listen to that other one, if you, especially if you want to get into Michael and my shared love of show choirs. <laughs> but, um, you have pictures? I have pictures. Oh, yeah. I've got, <laughs> uh, I'm looking around my room. I don't have them hanging up, but I, I used to have a picture on my wall. Um, but uh, yeah, so Michael, why don't you just give us a quick intro to yourself, and then we can jump into our subject for this episode. Yeah, so uh, I'm Michael Chan. I go by Chantastic uh, almost everywhere. Host the React podcast um, at reactpodcast.com. And uh, yeah, I've uh, I guess for context of this episode, uh, I I got into React like super early. Like I, I think I wrote my first component in like November or like Christmas break of like 2013. And wow, that um, is super early. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately one of the first things that i did was to put my css in the style attribute of of my component so so me and css and react components have a long long history so yeah. anyway i thought i'd get that out of the way in the intro yeah i love that yeah i think that's great and 2013 even at the tail end that's like very very early days react so that's that's impressive i didn't I didn't really start getting serious about it until 2015. So you're you're a bit older than I am in React years. <laughs> in both years, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, Michael, you've been... Actually, one of the first things that I remember watching of your educational content was um, you had this website. It was like something React Beginner or something um, where you, you showed making a component that encapsulates its styles. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was um, probably at learnreact.com, which I have not I, updated I, in a really long time. But yeah, it talked about kind of like style encapsulation and components. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where that was. And, um, and it resonated a lot with me because one of the things that I love about React is the, the black box nature of it. So yeah. like when we're talking about components, um, even with AngularJS, where I was working before, um, before I got into React, um, I kind of treated my directives as components. And, and this was before Angular.Component came around. Um, and so I just kind of made these things. And, and I wanted to encapsulate all of my, like, everything into this black box. And just by the nature of the design of the framework, it was kind of difficult to make a black box that didn't leak a lot. Sure, yeah. um, <laughs> and so that was, that was tricky. And you had to be really, um, like, intentional about doing that. And I, I, one of the things I love about React is that it's a lot easier to make a black box of uh, abstraction with React uh, components uh, that don't leak, that are like ironclad, uh, and it's you know that's the pit of success. And it's of course it's you can do the wrong things uh, that are sure. not idiomatic, but um, but yeah. So with that, um, talking about um, using like encapsulating styles into these components uh, that comes with so many benefits. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about like? Why do you think CSS and JS has just exploded in popularity in the React ecosystem? Well, yeah. So I think 
what you said is like totally right on. Like th there's something about the encapsulation model of React components that is just brilliant and it works in a way that we haven't really seen in other places. Um, I think one of my favorite examples, I have this tiny, tiny, tiny component. Um, it's called like React SVG spinner or something like that. And the thing that I love about it is not that it's like particularly well designed or has like a good API or any of that kind of stuff, but it's that it's a like it's a React component that like renders out an SVG element that it fully draws inside of the component and then some CSS like just inside of the component, like in a like local style tag that um, it uh, what is it that it uses to like style and animate the the SVG. And I just remember thinking it was magical that I could make this one NPM install that did all of those kinds of things instead of having to be mm. like, hey, add this style sheet and like import this SVG from this other thing. It's just like, if you're running React, you have this one thing and it just puts up a spinner and does all of the things that you need to, to do, like baked into it. It's brilliant. Yes, it's so awesome. Like where we're before, like anybody who's new to this, it's just like, yeah, that's like, that's life, right? Like that's web development. <laughs> yeah. But like before you're like, okay, now you have to add this Babel loader or this Webpack loader, or yeah. you have to add this script tag or all of this nonsense that was like, well, I can't really do that because my build system is such yeah. and such. Or, you know, there's so many, so many hoops you have to jump through. But being able to put it all into just you can copy paste this file, and now like <laughs> you don't even have to take the whole file. Just like take this chunk of code. Yeah, it, it is a totally different paradigm. That was yeah, fantastic, absolutely. Yeah, and it's like I I know for 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 me like kind of coming from Rails, like so much of this stuff was really irritating because you know maybe you had all of those things but you had to package it up into like a gem which was like totally aware of like you know the rails system and like how things were bundled and then you had to have like three different parts where you imported you know the javascript into you know one javascript manifest and the css into another you know into a css manifest and like and now you have this gem sitting around that has nothing to do with rails it's just like a bunch of like <laughs> css and javascript and it's like yeah, I just I, I I love where we're at in terms of encapsulation right encapsulation right now because it's just it's what I think we've wanted for a really long time. Absolutely, and and I think that React just got the ball rolling when it was like, hey, listen, this whole separation of concerns thing is pretty cool and all, but you're separating the wrong things and and you yes. define concerns wrong, um, <laughs> and you know as as it happens. A button, like let's take a, a toggle button, for example. A toggle button isn't a toggle button without the markup, the behavior, and the <laughs> styling. Like you, you can't have it without all of those things. So let's just put them all together and we'll start with JSX and then CSS and JS comes around and, and we just marry it all. And when we do that, we just acknowledge the reality um, and then we can have some really powerful things with that reality, right? Yeah. So with, with that in mind, um, we are going to talk a little bit, uh, I, or we want to get into a little bit why um, you might want to not get a divorce in that, <laughs> that sort of marriage, but, uh, but why you might want to be a little more intentional about um, how you create this design system in a way that um, will yeah, is leveraging the modern platforms that we're building on. Yeah. Yeah, so so a lot of the work that I do is in like front end architecture and then like design systems. And most of what I do is is helping like designers and developers communicate. I'd say like if I ha if I've had one job over the last like 10 years, it has very little to do with code or design or anything. It's just like trying to figure out where we can 
like the areas that we can agree and like move forward on. So I'm like, I'm really like bullish on like communication kind of across the, across the wall. Um, and I think that something that concerns me deeply about any technology is like when we put too much inside of it. <laughs> and I think that we saw this early, like to draw a corollary inside the React universe, I think we saw this pretty early on in React where everyone was taking their state, all manner of state, and, and putting it into Redux. And like, like or, or some Flux implementation. I don't want to like single yeah. out Redux, right? Putting yeah. everything inside of some state, some global state management. Yeah. And I, I, I say that because I think that we have over the last like three years been like crawling out of that in our applications. Would you, would you yeah. agree with that? Oh I, my I, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I agree so much, so much. Yeah. Cause I know that this is something that you, you have to talk about a lot of like kind of now that everything can be in a component, right? Like we've, we've got this really nice encapsulation model that allows us to do this thing for the first time. It, you have to be very uh, like strict about what you let in there. And mm -hmm. this can be really hard because like it's extremely nuanced. And I think for a lot of people, like they want the rule, like they want the ES lint rule that says like, do this, don't do the other thing. And that's just not how this works. Like sometimes it takes a, a huge amount of experience and having gone through transitions from one platform to another platform to, to have like, like an intuition, I guess, about what is too much. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it, it's tricky because like you see the component and you see all these capabilities that we've baked into it. And like, I feel like we've largely like solved the, you know, performance, you know, issue in CSS and yeah, JS yeah. now. And like, it's really good now and it's hard not to just throw everything. In <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> what would you say like the biggest takeaway, like from, uh, cause I know that you've, you've taught and guided a lot of people in this transition of thinking away from just you know, putting everything inside of a global store, like, like from that, like from that as like an example, like what are some of those nuances or like, what are some of the areas that have been hard to communicate to people in dividing that line between like, what should be local state, like what should be global state, like, et cetera. Yeah. I, I think that in general, I, um, I, I have a principle, I try to develop a principle for, um, for these nuanced things that we're teaching people just so, uh, and, and these principles typically can't be encoded in an ESLint rule, which I know lots of people <laughs> have a lot of trouble with. But um, the, the principle is co-location. And, and this applies to global state. It applies to like the, where your files are laid out in the file system, where you put your tests, like all of this stuff. If you think about the principle of co-location and the fact that the closer um, you put things uh, related things together, the easier it will be to maintain on the long term. And yeah. in some cases, the more performance it will be as well. Um, then like it just um, like global state actually does fit into that because yeah. I, I have this state and the closest it could possibly be to where it's related is actually at the top because yeah. literally everything needs it. Right. So that's still co-location. Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of where like the, the real struggle um, that, that I've had though, is people, uh, people do want to have an ESLint rule that sa just says, okay, do this, don't do that. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. when we're talking about, uh, something like co-location, the only thing that will always be, that will always quote unquote work is putting everything global. And so you make an ESLint rule against yeah. 
react state. <laughs> and that's how we, <laughs> I think that's how we got here. Um, and so, yeah, being, uh, taking a more nuanced approach, more principles based approach, I think, uh, you know, we're really good at lifting state, less good at like going the opposite direction and yeah. co-locating state. Um, and, uh, and bringing it back around to CSS, I think we've just really fallen in love with this ability to encapsulate our styles because we really don't like um, having global styles, but for some <laughs> reason we're okay having global state. I, I'm not exactly sure I understand that. Um, where we're, we're like, these two things are passing on the highway. And it's like, wait a second, where are you going? <laughs> so, totally. Uh, now, this is like, so, so I bring up the, the Redux thing because I think that it, it, like it's such a good example of putting too much inside, like putting redirecting too much into the wrong place. And mm. I think one thing that I've always been on about with components um, is that like the encapsulation model is only as good as you are at encapsulating a single piece of information, right? And I think hooks are really good at this because they make it kind of difficult to to encapsulate more than one concept, you know, or they're, they're kind mm. of like biased against that a little bit. Um, but like, let's say like every every design system on the planet has a button, right? And I think this this goes back to maybe that first lesson um, that you, you had seen of mine, but like I do all of my componentry like a little bit differently uh, in that like when I create a button component, like I don't want it to think about size. I don't want to think it, want it to think about color or anything. Like all it thinks about is just how to like display the minimum viable button. And then if I want a button that is a certain size or a certain color, like I make another button that like composes that button, right? And kind of like like works together. Like this is this is composition, you know, versus like, mm. you know, everything that we've seen, like every design system that's come out post bootstrap where it's like a single component has all of these like ideas of like size and all that kind of stuff baked into it. Like and, 13 props. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And I feel like like as React developers who kind of like latched on to the notion of like design systems and 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 largely co-opted it from the field of design, I feel like we've done it wrong. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and when I say like the industry, I don't mean we because I feel like I'm still doing it right by just having the <laughs> one <laughs> like the components that compose each other. Um, but it's I it's something that like I'm deeply concerned with because I feel like we put more and more into these components. Like, you know, like so many systems, React-based design systems have like a box now, which is basically every single component in those systems inherits from like box. And mm -hmm. we're in this position again with design systems where we have kind of taken the easiest route and pushed everything into one place, um, like global state. And uh, it's it's concerning to me because, like, as someone who who is actively migrating, you know, systems from one place to another, you know, like from Rails to to React, to think like in ten years we're gonna have all this like legacy React code that was like super hot in twenty twenty, um, that is like immobile, like cannot be moved to the next mm. thing, and mm. we're in a position where we have to like rewrite everything, which sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely not fun. Um, so what, what is your, um, like your not, I, I'm not going to say perfect, like nothing's perfect, but what, what's your ideal design system like, uh, then I, I imagine lots of people, 
uh, listening to this are like, yeah, my whole design system is styled components and it's amazing. Or, you know, they, they've, and they've got the theme stuff and they got media queries all like magically working together in something that they feel is working super well for them. Um, and so here we are talking about how maybe there's a, there's potentially a better way, a more portable way. So what is that way? Like how, how would you recommend people go about creating design systems that can, you know, that are framework free? Yeah, that's a good question. I like framework free. It's like free range, uh, <laughs> free range <laughs> design systems. <laughs> um, so like, first of all, like both of us love CSS and JS for certain projects. Like I, I'm not going to like beat around the bush. Like my first talk was at React Europe, like encouraging people to start using CSS and JS. And specific like as we focus more and more on accessibility in the react space like you realize like how important these components are because those like css and javascript and like and uh markup are entangled when it comes to styling things that are accessible and yeah. so like I, I i don't want to like discard all of that because i think that that's super important but you look at um libraries like reach ui and they're they're still like um, kind of exporting like a CSS thing, which is easy to override. And I feel like this is a good model because open source, like more than anything, has to be, uh, I guess, extensible. And I feel like if we think, like if we look at open source as like, you know, kind of a model for how we should be um, designing our closed source, I feel like that is a really good model of like, hey, we know that these things are intertwined. We're going to give you the minimum viable implementation to like make it work, right? Like to make sure that these interactive elements show in the right place, et cetera. Um, right. But then you can easily override them. And I feel like my, I, I think my feeling is that design systems as well as like open source that's going to kind of transcend React really has to be thinking about the browser as a target and not React as a target and kind of re-looking at what's capable in the browser now. I think predominantly the, the, the killer features are gonna be like CSS custom properties slash variables and CSS grid. And um, kind of evaluate, like determine a strategy for their apps or their open source on like how they want to like, you know, um, leverage those things and how they're going to maybe support like, you know, legacy applications if they want to at all um, in kind of, betting on standards in the future because i think that you know it, it's at some point i internet explorer is going to be end of life right mm -hmm. yeah it, <laughs> and, it has to be please <laughs> tell me that it, it will be even if it won't i just need to hear those words <laughs> <laughs> it will it will um and like you know css custom properties and css grid have such i think we've gotten so obsessed with react we've missed all of the the innovation that's happened there and you know i i mean browser support for grid and uh, uh css custom properties is like almost as good as flexbox if maybe not mm. better in some cases and mm. so you know if you're already using flexbox for stuff you know and, and and all of these things are really good at overriding the properties that you would have used for like the legacy systems anyways like floats and all that kind of stuff so I don't know. I'm super bullish on standards, like pretty much always. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So in, in your mind, the like the ideal design system today would be 
uh, one where it's leveraging mostly like or pretty much all CSS, uh, like regular style sheets that people would uh, then import the style sheet for the styles. But then there would be an accompanying uh, React component that um, has props and stuff that people can use um, so that they say, oh, OK, just include this style sheet, include this button component and use that button component. You don't have to worry about class names. You just I need to have that style sheet on the page. Is that what you're? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that the boundaries are going to be different for every every person. And this was kind of like my feeling in terms of transitioning to CSS and JS is, is that um, there's no way to make a clear boundary about this. Like like we were talking about with ES lint rules and whatnot. You, 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 if you if you want to make one decision, um, you're going to be kind of stuck on one side or the other. But if you're willing to kind of like bridge the gap, I think there's so much cool stuff that you can do um, in like maybe just maybe not even using class names, right? Like just defining a bunch of like custom properties that are used with values and then having your components com consume those, right? Like one of the things that everybody hates about CSS is the fact that you have to give something a name first. And that's like one yeah. of the two hardest problems in computer science, right? Um, and I think that with this, you can, you know, use, you can just kind of define like a specification for like, and an avatar or whatever. And now you can, if you want to do everything in React, you just have a React component that consumes those custom properties. You have an, you know, another React component that modifies those custom properties to make, you know, to put a ring around the avatar or a border or, you know, make it so it can overlap other avatars in a group. And like, so you can still leverage the component model while also taking advantage of, you know, the, the latest features in CSS which make these things very customizable, very easily overrided, overridden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. e either way, I, I think we all understand. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, like CSS Grid, there's like so many uh, kind of bespoke grid systems out there. And like, that's just built into the browser now. It's like, just learn that. It's like so much more powerful than every every other grid system I've ever seen before. It's, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So actually on that one, uh, would you suggest that like application or, or people who build design systems just expose class names that use those things and then application developers would use those class names? Or would you also expose um, like, like grid components that are built on top of regular CSS grid just to because there's a lot of value in scoping down the amount of things that you can do, right? Um, yeah. When you're when it comes to a design system. Yeah, it's tricky to say like for for any given team. I I hope that people just kind of like explore it and find out what the boundaries are for them. Mm. Um I mean, I still expose classes because, you know, uh my work happens largely between like Rails and React and there mm. isn't uh like I I don't want like I have to have some type of handle for the the Rails code to target, right? And so we use um right. you know classes for that. Um, if you were like, you know, strictly in React, you could still set up all these like, you know, custom properties and then just consume them in React. Um, but I mean, grids, like grids are rad. Like they're so ridiculously powerful. And I think that we've, we've been conditioned to want to build the generic grid system um, for our applications instead of um, saying like, I need a grid for this particular layout, <laughs> or I need a grid for even, even like 
one small form setup, right? Like make a thousand grids and, and use those instead of having like a, you know, like a, you know, a generic thing that has like, you know, 50,000 props on it and allows you to kind of you know, <laughs> do stuff in a bespoke way of your application that, you know, isn't leveraging the browser technology. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, related to this, when, when I was at PayPal, the very last thing that I like big effort that I was working on before I left was, um, what was called PP react, which PayPal PP it's unfortunate. (laughs) I didn't want to do PayPal react. That's too long of a, of a uh, module name, but I was working really closely. It was a component library, um, for all of PayPal, everybody who was using react, which is pretty much everybody was either on react or moving to react. Um, but uh, I was working really closely with the design system team, and they really wanted me to um, work on something that would work regardless of the framework. And I pushed back so hard. I was like, <laughs> literally everybody here at the company is either using or moving to React. So like we could build, you know, the uh, web components came up and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on web components in, in relation to all of this. But I, I shot that down very fast. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so... Like, I just really was pushing, like, let's just do CSS and JS. You can give me your tokens, whatever, as a yeah. package. I'll import that as JSON and, and grab all the values I want. But they were like, we we still have lots of people who are on old stuff, and we want to make this work for the future. And so eventually I was, I was finally convinced and uh, just started making... Um, uh, like one of, one of my big problems and, and the reason that I decided to work on this was because I would look at PayPal applications and... Like almost every single one of them, you'd pull up the coverage numbers that Google Chrome DevTools would show you. Uh-huh. And I'd click around and open modals and everything. And I could never get our CSS coverage down below 90% unused CSS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is not a small amount of CSS. And so I was like, we've got to have something that's code splittable. We've got to have something that like once you remove that component, the CSS is also yep. gone. And and um, so I was just like that was such a huge and important thing to me. And so the what we developed was they they created regular CSS classes and um, in my packaged like up on our internal npm thing um, in the built version it would have import statements for yep. CSS. And so then you you want to bring in the button component? Well, sure, that'll bring its CSS along with it. If you want the modal, but that's code split, that'll come later. Uh, and, and the CSS is all just magically code split um, along with that. Um, and so I felt like that was a, a struck a really great balance of the ability for uh, us to get like scoped down CSS for components, like componentized CSS. Yeah. We get all the benefits of components and code splitability and everything. Um, but also... Um, being able to deliver that same CSS for non-React um, applications. And um, if, I, I left the the company before it really got a lot of adoption, but I've heard since that that it has gotten a lot of adoption, which is validating. But what do you think about that approach? Is there any um, anything that you can tell our listeners that like, oh, maybe consider this before doing something like that? Yeah, I think I think that's a really great approach. And that's the approach that, um, you know, libraries like ReachUI are taking where they have kind of the, the CSS. And it's cool because you can handle all of that as like part of the the build, um, you know, so now mm-hmm. that like, so you're, so you're doing that as part of the build, you're kind of encapsulating all of that. Um, I think one nice thing about CSS custom properties is that they don't necessarily have to be exposed as a class name. Right. And so mm. like if you really do have a like if your task is to make a global design system, like 
having having these 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 CSS custom properties, those are your tokens, right? And if you can mm. kind of just rely on those as the undercurrent of you know of your design system, um, then you can consume them however you want, you know, in your componentry or your you know uh, 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 <laughs> CSS classes or, or or whatever you want to do. Yeah, that's fascinating. The, I, I, a big takeaway for me is go learn about CSS custom properties because I, <laughs> I know nothing about this stuff. Um, so. Yeah, they're really nifty. I'm actually like doing a, uh, a what is it? And we, we talked about Egghead earlier, but I, I have a an Egghead collection that I'm working on that kind of that is going through some of the. I guess more like intricacies of custom properties and like how they're useful because at first you're just like, Oh, they're CSS variables, you know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but there's so many cool things you can do. And there's so many ways that you can like compose them and like take them as a variable and like kind of extract other values from them. And it's just really neat. That's fascinating. Um, Well, one other thing that I wanted to make sure that is clear and maybe we'll disagree on this. I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) But when I was building that that component library and design system, um, my I, I was also working on uh, PayPal scripts. That one I didn't use PP. Um, I guess I didn't come up with that uh, until later. But PayPal scripts, basically like React scripts, uh, a whole build tool chain all in just one tool. You update that dependency and all of a sudden your build yeah. is faster or something. It was awesome. And, and that also has a lot, had a lot of adoption. But in that tool... I had um, built in support for emotion um, for CSS and JS um, and specifically the CSS prop. And that's how I was telling everybody to style their applications. I would say use uh, PP React for all of our like built-in design system components and then use the CSS prop for all your bespoke application specific stuff. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on on that? Like, do you do you feel like it would be better to just go full hog on uh, CSS and CSS custom properties for applications as well? Or do you see any value in CSS and JS from an applications uh, perspective? Oh, I definitely see value in, um, was it CSS and JS from an application perspective? I, like I think from that first talk at React Europe, I kind of presented the idea of CSS and JS as a continuum. And I think for me, it's so important to develop a like flexibility in your thinking that allows you to uh, focus on like the exceptions and the nuance, like as something like attention you just have to live in. Right. And mm-hmm. I think I've, I've been in a fortunate position where it's like, I have had to support like simultaneously like modern systems and legacy systems. And I think when you accept that as a constraint, like a, a persistent constraint, not just a, a a temporal constraint where it's like once we get to the modern system, we're good for the rest <laughs> of time. But like yeah. that, like the person who, like the legacy system that you're migrating from, that was the modern system at one point, and like you're yeah. just building the next legacy system. And like <laughs> if, if you can build something that 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 transcends both of your existing uh, systems, well, then you're in a much better spot to like. To, to, to move easily to the next thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that I couldn't say specifically what the best approach is for like any given team, but I think, you know, kind of a, 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 a tangential theme in this conversation is like, don't try to make a single rule that works everywhere. Like try to live in that tension a little bit and like ask yourself, like, like f- determine the nuance a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, like I think, you know, state derived styles are so much better to write in a component that is already maintaining that state. Um, but, mm. you know, like your design system, on the other hand, like, you know, maybe that should be 
in a technology that's you know standardized and can transcend you know whatever web technology you're using yeah i i think that's just fantastic advice and we're, we're coming down to the end of our time but i i really am curious about your answer to this question about um, you know, if if we're leveraging the platform for our CSS, we're using CSS Grid and CSS properties so that we don't have to do all of that in, in JavaScript for our design systems. Uh, at, at some point, some of those things need to be applied to HTML elements, and, and you're going to be having com components that, that render that uh, with JSX. Um, is there value in, like, in the same vein of using something like web components, which technically is the standard for components in, on the web. Man, you gotta you gotta hit me with that one right at the end. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Fortunately, well, we're basically out of time. So, <laughs> um, man, that's such a sticky thing. I, I feel like I I know that that at least it seems like web components, as they've been specified, are kind of in maintenance mode. That doesn't seem like there's a lot mm -hmm. of like like future outlook on that. And I know, you know, uh, Chrome and like teams at Google have been investing a lot into like Next and working with React and trying to figure out kind of like the values of the declarative component model and how we can integrate that kind of thinking into the browser. Um, mm. So I don't know, it's really tricky. I feel like web components are kind of uh, maybe like a little bit stuck and like this is just my feeling as like an outsider i have no privileged information <laughs> about this um, so nobody nobody rage tweet at fantastic <laughs> <laughs> um and i i wish that they weren't and i wish that react had better uh integration for them because i feel like that would be if, if react and web components worked perfectly together and like you didn't have to kind of work around the edge cases that feels like the natural path forward right of just do your design system and web components and then wrap them in whatever framework you want them to be in. Um, mm. But it feels like we're, we're not there and it's a, it's a real big pain in the butt for people who <laughs> <laughs> like attempt to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that um, the, the thing that I wanted to mention about this is that just because something's a standard doesn't necessarily mean yeah. it's the one that we want to use, uh, right? Like before React came around, if, if if the folks on the React team were like, well, here, here are the standards that we have, so we'll just use those things, um, then then React never would have come around. Like yeah. the same could be said, said of anything. So, uh, and, and the fact that web components came after React doesn't necessarily mean that it is going to work for your use cases better. Um, and to, to be frank, my... I, I'm not afraid to share my opinion on this is that web components was a bit of a failure in in addressing the needs of modern web um, application development, which is a real shame. And, and I wish that that's not the case. And, and maybe eventually we'll get something that is less of a failure uh, in, in my mind. But um, yeah, the, the one last thing that I wanted to mention uh, as we're talking about, like, let's let's make our code as framework free as possible, because I do think there's a lot of value in that. I just don't think that we've been able to really accomplish that with our markup yet. Yeah. But our, our logic can absolutely be framework free as well. And, and since yeah. we, you've mentioned Reach UI, one thing that you'll find that's interesting in digging through Reach UI uh, code is that actually a lot <laughs> of the logic lives in uh, in state machines. They, they don't use XState or anything, but um, they, they have their own kind of state machine little thing. And what's cool about that is... Um, like logic is actually often the hardest part of all of this. Yes. And so putting that into something that is framework free 
um, allows for them to say, oh, let's let's make a, a view reach UI and let's make an Angular reach UI, and we can and because they've uh, separated their CSS and their um, state or like their logic um, and their markup, they can just like s find and replace their or switch <laughs> out the the markup for each one of these frameworks. And I think there's a lot of value in that when when we're talking about design systems. I I don't think that this same thing applies with applications. Um, absolutely not. I don't think anybody should build an abstraction on top of their their application so they can swap out markup um, frameworks. But uh, with a design system, that seems to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you went there with ReachUI because I kind of just tell people like, oh, ReachUI is great on like so many levels, just knowing that they're going to get the benefit of this like framework free implementation. Um, yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. It's it's so hard to draw the lines sometimes on like when you should use a standard, when you shouldn't, um, when you want to leverage the power of a framework and when you should like kind of back off the gas a little bit. Um, but that like I, I, I do feel like you touched on it. it at least some of the nuance there, which is like the more general something is, probably the more likely you want to reach for a standard. And then the more specific it is, you know, to your domain, like yeah, leverage the leverage the kind of framework specific stuff that gives you that extra boost. Yeah, I, I, that's such an awesome takeaway. Thanks for bringing that out because I I think that um, when when it's like you're making a trade off by using the platform. Uh, often and that that trade-off often comes in the form of of your time and productivity yeah. uh, the frameworks bring you just so much like speed of development um, <laughs> but when we're talking about a, a something that is so far reaching as a design system you want that uh, like you're willing to put in the extra cost of the your speed in exchange for having longevity of that code um, whereas like an application, we don't even know if we're going to be in business tomorrow. So like, right. let's just get this thing shipped, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so much of this does come down to like, like kind of business trajectory and like, you know, cause if you're just like working like week to week, like do it as fast as you can and figure out the longevity <laughs> stuff later. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Michael, it's been awesome chatting with you. Um, eight minutes over time. Awesome. So <laughs> let's, let's wrap this up here. So, um, our, our homework for, for folks is we want you to take one of your small CSS and JS components. And uh, if, if you have them, if you don't, then that's awesome. Good for you. Um, maybe maybe for you, try CSS and JS for your apps because it's like there are some really awesome things that you can do with that. But for those of you who are using CSS and JS for your design system, we, we want you to try and like switch it out for a regular CSS solution to back it up. Um, and see if you can do that in a way that doesn't like change your API or anything. You should be able to accomplish that, I think. Um, maybe maybe you require people to include a CSS file or, or you can figure out some way to, to make it so they don't have to do that. But in any case, see, like just explore the existing standards, especially for CSS that we've got. And for my own personal homework is go figure out what the CSS custom properties thing is. <laughs> thing is. <laughs> good stuff. You'll like them. You'll like them. Yeah, very good. Awesome. Hey, Michael, how can people reach you? Oh, yeah, I'm uh, Chantastic, most places on the internet. And uh, if you want to hear some podcastage with some uh, really cool uh, React people and uh, kind of React tangential people, uh, React Podcast is the place to do it. 
All right. Um, maybe we need a framework-free podcast. No, just kidding. We love <laughs> React Podcast. It's fantastic. Really strongly recommend that podcast. I always look forward to those episodes. They, they move up in my queue if I've got other things ahead of it. So um, thanks. thanks so much. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you, Michael. Um, and I hope everybody has a wonderful, safe, healthy rest of their day or evening or morning or whatever time it is you listen to this. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you all next time. Thanks. Thanks.